let's pray together. Father God, we ask that you would please help us to look at this passage afresh and that by your spirit you'd open our ears, the eyes of our hearts, uh, that you might teach us, grow our faith and our commitment to love, adore, serve, worship and speak for Jesus. Lord, we pray that you might, by your spirit, please speak through me words, I pray, that would only be truthful, faithful, helpful. So, Lord, we ask you to do a work of grace through me and in all of us for the glory of Christ. Amen. Please keep your Bibles open at Philippians chapter 1. There's so many reasons to, that we stay silent about our Christian faith. There is so many reasons we don't talk about Jesus with others. I wonder what it is that stops you. Often we fear losing face, losing friends, maybe offending family members. Well, I think we don't want to be rejected by people. We want to be liked and included. We want people's respect and acceptance. We fear being ashamed. If we've maybe failed to live with integrity, if we can't answer people's questions or we don't know what to say on matters of morality. Maybe you want to tell your friends about Jesus, but you feel you just don't know what you're doing. Maybe you even feel scared and helpless. When we try to tell our friends about Jesus, our efforts often can feel clunky, awkward, weird, and I think maybe that's why we rarely evangelize. My prayer is that today you'll be encouraged to share about Jesus, knowing why and how and that you'll come away wanting to magnify Christ in all your life. We've started this new sermon series through the letter of Philippians. The Apostle Paul shared about his joy-filled thankfulness for the Philippians' partnership in the gospel and his prayers for them. Remember that he writes from prison and the Philippians have sent money to him through Epaphroditus and expressing their concern for Paul's welfare. And now he responds in verse 12, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. And this brings us to my first of three points today, making known, making the gospel known. So how has Paul's imprisonment served to advance or progress the gospel? Well, he's shared the gospel with all the guards who've guarded him in Rome. That's the imperial guard. That is Caesar's elite praetorium guard. They're a bit like a combo of the secret service and navy seals, protecting people they need to, good fighting skills. And many of them have taken shifts guarding Paul. And I imagine it being something like this. One by one, Paul has chatted with them. Clearly, he's told them who he is, why he's in prison. It's become known to them and everyone else, he says, that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Or as the NIV puts it, it's become known that I'm in chains for Christ. Paul trusts in Jesus Christ. He's been speaking about him. He's now in prison for him. Back in Acts Chapters 21 and 22, it records Paul being arrested in Jerusalem after 
uh, the Jews stirred up the crowd against him. Initially, he was arrested for his own protection, but then the high priest came and charged him with being an agitator and a, a, a ringleader of a sect. But really, it was their anger was him preaching the message that Jesus is the risen Messiah and Lord. And now in Rome, Paul has been sharing with all who come to him that Jesus Christ is his Lord and Saviour. He's the one worth living for, the one worth suffering for, even worth dying for. Remember, Paul's in chains. And he writes to friends who are concerned for him. But notice, please, it is not complaining so people feel sorry for him. Again, he has joy. Remember from last week, joy is that lasting contentment despite our changing circumstances. And Paul has seen that in God's providence, his confinement in Rome just gives new opportunities to talk to other people about Jesus. He's not dwelling on his own suffering. He's wanting others to be saved through trusting in Jesus too. And the word has come to many people in Rome. I mean, without Paul being in chains, the church in Rome would be much weaker in their evangelism. Without his imprisonment, the citizens of Rome would not likely be talking openly about the gospel. But because of Paul's chains, the imperial guard are now being one to faith in Christ and word is spreading like wildfire even through Caesar's own household. If you look at the end of the letter, chapter 4, verse 22 We see there that saints in Caesar's household, Christians in Caesar's household are now greeting the saints in Philippi. So Paul went to prison. But it was ironic that what looks like a defeat for the gospel actually turned into a great victory. No matter what hard place we may find ourselves in, God can use that very situation to advance his word. So I ask, where is it that you feel restricted in life at the moment? Could it be in a difficult job? No job. Maybe you feel confined to your house with little children. Maybe you're trapped in a classroom with kids or you're a student tied to your schedule. Wherever you find yourself, your adverse situation can be an opportunity to testify to Jesus. You are not where you are by accident. You are where you are by divine appointment for your good and for the good of others, maybe even for you to share Christ. Think, please, about how you how God can use you to influence others for Christ. Paul says that his imprisonment in verse 14 actually inspired others to boldly and fearlessly speak the word. Sometimes we can think that, oh, this sharing the gospel is okay for Paul. I mean, he was an apostle. But what we have here is everyday Christians sharing the gospel. And it seems that they thought, well, if Paul's in prison and he can't preach, well, well, we need to. Or maybe they thought, if Paul's gone to prison for preaching Christ, if he's in prison, well, well, I can risk losing face. I can risk losing respect or maybe even my freedom or a friendship. 
maybe it's worth it for us too. Sharing the gospel isn't just something that pastors and preachers and evangelists and people in full-time ministry do. We see here that Paul's hardship inspired other Christians to place more confidence in the Lord, to so trust the Lord that they dared to speak up fearlessly. You don't need a theology degree to be able to say that Jesus died and rose again and he gives life and relationship with God to everyone who trusts in him. You can do that, Christian. I know I mentioned Sam Chan's book, I think it was Easter Sunday, but I wanted to encourage you with something else from this. Sam talks about how our society and culture has changed and evangelism today is really hard. I want to say it is hard. He talks about the importance and the distinctiveness, the power of hospitality, and he encourages us, say with people at work, it could be your neighbours, to follow three steps, uh, coffee, dinner, gospel. So he says invite people to coffee or out for coffee and chat just with small talk, getting to know each other, finding out their interests. And then you progress to lunch or dinner uh, over, of course, because over a meal you can talk about more personal things, deeper things. He says, invite them over to a meal at your home even. That's pretty countercultural today. Find creative ways to do hospitality if you don't have a home where that can happen. And he says, don't just have a meal with people to talk about Jesus because we love them. That's why we are just to love them as people made in the image of God. It's not just for this purpose. But Sam encourages us to listen well and to ask questions to find out what matters to them, what they value. Do you prefer chocolate or vanilla ice cream? Do you like James Bond or rom-com movies? And then we want to progress to the level of discussing worldviews, what they think about religion or prayer, for example. And you might ask, here's a few suggested questions, and you could pick one. You might ask, what's wrong with the world? Do you think there's a God? Do you think there's life after death? Are people basically good or bad? And we work hard to listen well. We, we actively listen and we ask follow-up questions. And maybe then you can move to the gospel as you ask something like, what are you hoping for in this life? Or where do you want to be in five or ten years? Whatever they say in answer to that, follow that up with, why is that important to you? Or where do you turn when life is hard? If they laugh off the question, that's okay. They're not ready to go deeper. Or maybe they are ready to share more personally. And maybe then you can share that Jesus is the one that you've found gives you life and hope, purpose or peace. And that you could suggest that he might be someone that's worth them considering. They might consider exploring Jesus. Maybe you could even share of the peace you have because of your relationship with God or the peace you had in that storm of suffering in your life. But why? Why do it? Why make the gospel known? 
Point two is briefly our motives. In verse 15, people preach or proclaim Christ with different motives. It seems in Rome the preachers are all preaching the gospel. That message that Jesus is Saviour and Lord, he died and rose again to give victory over death to all who trust in him. And the problem is with their motives, not the message. For some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. We're not given details about what particularly it was. But it seems that they envied Paul's influence and his following and wanted people to follow them, even if it meant causing divisions in the church, the Christian community. Verse 17, they're motivated by selfish ambition. So they're putting themselves first and presumably they're wanting people to follow them. While making trouble for Paul at the same time with some anti-Paul propaganda. So their motives are not sincere, they're hidden. Whereas others preach Christ out of goodwill, that is with pure and right motives. In verse 16, Paul says we, we others preach Christ out of love. And isn't the right motive for making Christ known a love for him, a love for others? Yes. I mean, a desire for Jesus to be recognized, loved and worshipped, and a love for people that would seek their good and see them saved to experience joy and love like we have. It's love that drives that. And for the godly preachers, it was a love for Paul too, wanting to support him in this ministry of sharing the gospel, defending the gospel. But honestly, sometimes what's kept me silent about Jesus when I've had the opportunity to say something is because I'm focusing too much on myself, what might happen to me. Honestly, that's me loving myself first. So if you're like me, we need to pray for a greater love for Jesus and a greater love for others. It would motivate us to make him known because our love for our family, our love for our friends, your love for your work colleagues, it will be seen in open hearts and in opening our mouths. But for Paul, amazingly, he's actually not bothered about people's motives. As long as the truth of Christ is spoken and proclaimed, he's happy. He says in verse 18, in this I rejoice. Paul's not building his own kingdom and amassing followers like someone wanting a thousand followers on Instagram. Paul's devoted to Jesus. He wants people to hear of him and follow him and look at him. Paul finds joy in other people hearing about and following Jesus. And so if more people speak of Jesus, he thinks he feels wonderful, wonderful. His enemies, you see, can't steal his joy. He'll continue to rejoice. And Paul rejoices because it is the honour and the glory of Jesus that he seeks. Point three is magnifying, magnifying Christ. Paul rejoices that Christ is proclaimed, but also because he knows, verse 19, that his imprisonment will lead to salvation, his salvation. The word salvation, the Greek word can mean deliverance. 
which is how the NIV puts it. So it's possible that Paul is confident that he would be freed from prison in answer to, he says, the Philippians' prayers and by the help of Christ's Spirit. Paul believed in the power of prayer. He believed in the power of the Spirit, as should we. And in chapter 2, verse 24, he's actually confident that he's going to be freed from prison and be able to come to them soon. But the word can also mean salvation in the spiritual and ultimate and final sense. So his prisonment, he's he's likely saying, it will result in his ultimate eternal deliverance because he'll persevere in faith with their prayer supports and with the help of the Spirit of Jesus. Because as we heard last week in verse 6, when God starts a good work in someone, he will finish it. He will carry it on to completion. So we can't be sure what Paul meant, but whether he will be freed from prison and the death sentence or not, his confidence, his faith rests firmly on the Lord, rests firmly in the Lord. Again, do you see his security in Christ that gives him joy, that gives him hope? And please see that what Paul is talking about here, it's not positive thinking. It's not him humming along with the musical Annie, not humming along that the sun will come out tomorrow, it'll end up okay. That's not what he's thinking. Really, he's deeply thankful for God. He has confident hope in his salvation, confidence in God's power to save, whether that is achieved in this life or through his death. Verse 20 speaks about Paul's expectation and hope that he'll not be ashamed to speak about Jesus, but do that courageously. But it also implies that sometimes even the great apostle struggled and knew what it was like to be tempted to stay quiet about Jesus because of the potential consequences. It's not easy. In in Ephesians chapter 6, he asked the Ephesian church for their prayers that he would speak boldly because he needed God's help to do that, just like we do. But look where Paul finishes. He wants Christ to be honoured in his body, whether by life or by death. He wants Jesus to be highly honoured, magnified, the word can be translated, in whatever happens to him. And so Paul lays his head on the pillow of the sovereignty of God every night. He's trusting the Lord with his life and focuses on the glory of Jesus. We read earlier from Psalm 29. Key theme in that psalm is that David wanted the Lord to be glorified. And the creation and creatures in heaven and people on earth to shout out glory to the Lord. And that's what Paul wants too. Whether by his death or the way he lives his life, he wants Jesus to be magnified. Magnified. What an example for us. Paul seeks the magnification of his master. It's his eager expectation, it's his hope, it's his desire, his greatest joy is in knowing Jesus in intimate relationship with him, in living for him and making him known. 
and staying focused on magnifying, in magnifying Christ, it gives him this unlimited supply of joy. So for him, Christ is all sufficient. Whatever his circumstances, whatever he experiences, whatever anyone else says to or does to him. And when Christ is our all-sufficient, all-satisfying source of joy, he'll be magnified by us too. Last week I mentioned Eric Liddell, famously running fast while looking up, finding pleasure in that. His career as an Olympic athlete was made famous by the 1981 movie, I think it was, Chariots of Fire, when he stood firm and refused to race on a Sunday. But less is known of his later mission. He surrendered his life to take the gospel to the people of China. And two situations uh, highlight his single-minded devotion to God's service, which I wanted to mention. While in Tientsin, China in 1929, Liddell raced the German track star Peltzer. And Liddell beat Peltzer in the 400-meter race, but he lost the 800. The Germans strongly urged Liddell to return to England to train for the 1932 Olympics. But as a friend of Eric's wrote, Eric's diary had no room for that. Instead, he remained in rural China, even when World War II started. I wonder how your commitment to Christ and your honouring Jesus is seen in your calendar, in what you say yes to, in what you say no to. In 1943, Liddell was sent to the YCN internment camp. The Olympic gold medalist, well known for his stirring sermons, he continued to share God's word without forcing it on people. But he now devoted most of his time to caring for the elderly and the children in the camp, organizing teaching lessons and games for them. And some wonder, surely this was an underutilizing of his capacities and gifts, right? Well, Liddell gave no indication he thought so, but joyfully embraced the circumstances. The unanimous testimony of the children from the camp indicates that Uncle Eric was their friend. He died of a brain tumour six months before the camp was liberated. But his smile of hope lived on in each of the children that he cared for. Just prior to his death, while slipping into a coma, he was heard trying to say the word that typified his life. Surrender. Surrender. Friends, don't allow yourself to waste your life. Don't let yourself waste the precious life that God has given you. No one remembers the 1924 or 32 Olympic winners. Imagine the medals are all lost. And yet Eric's life continues to encourage millions to a life of full surrender to Jesus. For Paul, for Eric, they spoke of Christ and they selflessly served Christ. Next weekend, a crown of gold will be laid on King Charles' head. And it's something that lots of people are and will be excited about. 
we worship one who wore a crown of thorns. Do you love him? Will you serve him? He's worthy of us living our lives for, giving our obedience to. What does it look like for you? What will it look like for you to live a life where you magnify Christ and honour him in your life above all? Christ will be magnified when you trust him and serve him to the end. He'll be magnified when you continue loving others. Family, your, your church family, maybe it is through caring for the elderly or teaching children like Liddell. He'll be magnified when we continue loving others in sacrificial service with all the strength God gives. And when you trust him and testify to him in your illness, in your weakness, even as you face your death, and when you speak of the purpose and the peace and the joy that Jesus gives you, in all such things you magnify him. Let me close with another true story of someone magnifying Christ. Maybe it relates a bit more closely to us. Because we often don't need to go looking for opportunities to share Jesus. We should just get out there and be like Jesus to out to the community and opportunities can find us. A few years ago, that author, Sam Chan, his wife, Steph, was in a busy shopping centre with her three young boys, aged three, five and seven. The mall was crowded, the boys were tired and hungry after the school day, but Steph noticed a young Asian woman holding her baby daughter and looking extremely distressed. Steph went up to her. Steph learned that the woman's name was Jenna and she asked if everything was okay. Jenna replied that she couldn't find her elderly mother who was not able to speak English, who had the pram along with Jenna's purse and phone and money and food for the baby. Steph spent the next few hours, hours, helping Jenna look for her mother. They walked up and down the mall, visited shops outside the mall, even called the police to report her mother missing. Steph offered food to Jenna so that she could feed her hungry baby and Finally, they found her mother. Jenna thanked Steph profusely for her time and Steph seized the opportunity to invite Jenna to the playgroup at our church. And Sam says, from there we invited Jenna to come to our church. When Jenna's husband Nelson saw all the happy families worshipping at church, he said to Jenna, whatever these people believe, we have to believe the same thing. We invited Jenna to come to our growth group, which meets at our home after the Sunday church service. We had a barbecue and Jenna was intrigued. She also wanted to learn how to host a barbecue at her own place. And so we offered to help her and, and she borrowed our barbie. Jenny, Jenna hosted the barbecue and invited families from the church playgroup and families from another playgroup that she was involved in that was mostly made up of non-believers and the two groups mingled and chatted and new friendships formed. One of the non-Christian couples we met there has become our friends and they're attending a local church with another couple they met at Jenna's barbecue. Shortly after the barbecue, one of the couples suffered a tragedy. 
the husband had a very bad motorbike accident, serious injuries. The couple met with our church pastor who was also had also been in a motorcycle accident and was suffering from long-term injuries. The wife started coming to the women's midweek Bible study. Sam says, can you see what happened? At least three couples are now checking out Jesus because Steph stopped to help Jenna at a shopping centre a few years ago. Back then, she was just going out of her way to help a distressed shopper. But it triggered a set of unforeseen circumstances and events which resulted in evangelism. Being Jesus to someone later led to opportunities to speak of Jesus. And all of it magnified Christ. And that's worth praying for, isn't it? That we would be like Jesus to others. The most of opportunities to speak of him. Motivated by love, let's pray that we will make Christ known. Magnify him in everything. He's worthy of it. Let's pray. Father God, we want to say that our Lord Jesus deserves all the glory, whether you've all worship and honour and power and strength. By him we've been redeemed, set free from sin and death in the grave and given forgiveness and a hope and promise of life and salvation that we've never deserved and can never earn. Pray, Lord, that you might grow our love for Jesus and our love for those around us that we might desire and pray and seek and speak for them to come to experience the life and joy and peace that Jesus gives and that we've received ourselves by your grace. So Lord, we pray that in our lives, with our love, our service, our words, that we would magnify and shine a spotlight on Christ, the one who's worth living for. Grow our joy in him, we pray. Help us to find our satisfaction, our greatest satisfaction and joy in him, we pray. Amen.